I'm like, this is it. And I just, I locked a locker and I left and I didn't tell anybody I was leaving, but I knew like, I'm done. I'm totally surrendered. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Race and Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolinko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, then this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anybody else who might be encouraged by it too. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Good afternoon, everybody. Today we're talking to Corrine Santinelli. She is a wife, a bulldog mama, She's a certified life and relationship coach, and she is the founder of Beulah Strip Church, just an amazing ministry uh, that's reaching girls, women in the clubs. Um, And because of everything that she's doing with this, she's been featured on the 700 Club to share her testimony recently. I just see that you're starting to get noticed what God is doing in your life is starting to get noticed because, you know, this is one of the first times that I've seen what you're doing and it's just so amazing and so needed. So thank you so much for being on the Raised and Redeemed podcast today to share your testimony and what you're doing with Beulah Strip Church. Thank you so much for having me. It really is humbling. It's an honor. So I thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be on today. Yes, of course. So I just want to like jump right into your testimony, if you don't mind. Um, I don't want to say, I don't want to steal any thunder. I just want to hear everything from the beginning, uh, leading up to how you found yourself in the clubs and then sort of what that process was like getting out of it, your salvation story. So yes, if you would like. Yeah, Yeah, let's do it. Um, So I know a lot of I don't get to talk about this part of my life much, um, maybe because it's either not asked or just doesn't come to mind when I share my testimony. But I want to throw this out there first. So when I first came to Christ, it wasn't because I was working in the club. It was because I was battling with severe anxiety. I had my first panic attack when I was 12 years old. I didn't know that's what was happening. I find out years later as it continued to happen, almost on a daily basis, I thought that I was sick, something was wrong with my heart, I had maybe some intestinal issues, and I was in and out of doctor's offices, in and out of hospitals, always undiagnosed. And in my late teens, I was diagnosed with panic disorder. Mm -hmm. And in my home, in my culture, we were like a panic disorder. What's that? Right. And when the doctor tried explaining to my mom or myself, we just completely rejected that. We're like, that doesn't happen here. We're strong Hispanic women. There's no such thing. Like, 
so I go on with life and I learn all these different coping mechanisms to just kind of get me through the day. And whenever, uh, at some point I have a boyfriend and then I notice like having a boyfriend kind of got my mind off of the anxiety and my, uh, anxiety attacks would be less and less and less. And so then that was kind of one of my like coping strategies, just have a boyfriend, you know, yeah. keep myself busy, keep myself occupied. Well, when I was 16 years old, I was kicked out of my house and there was no apparent reason. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. There was a lot of fighting. And when I say fighting, I mean like actual physical fighting. There was no such thing as like, screaming or arguing and then moving on. No, the moment someone is yelling at you in my house, you are ready to fight. Like we're putting our hair up, like we're, it's about to go down. Yeah. And so for no reason other than just the dysfunction in my home, I was 16 years old. My mom wakes me up super early in the morning and she's like, I want you out of my house. And that was it. So I, I get up and there's like three hefty bags with my clothes in there in the street. <clears throat> and in that moment, I had to figure out life. I'm like, I'm 16 years old. I'm still in high school. Like, what am I going to do? Eventually, I drop out of high school and I couch surf for a couple of years. By the time I was 19 years old, my friend had introduced me to the sex industry. And I start working um, at this very popular club. And I'm doing this to make money. Obviously, I don't have any other job um, experiences, no other source of income. And I'm couch surfing. So I have to literally like, I can't couch surf anymore. I'm growing up. But this was all that was available to me. At least that's what I thought. So I do that from 19 to 24. Um, I'm having a lot of anxiety still. It's like off and on thing that's happening with me. And by the time I was 24, I now had had several boyfriends. I had a, a, a lived in boyfriend at the time we broke up and my anxiety was just getting worse. And I grew up with the knowledge of God. My mom had a shrine in the house with an Bible and a candle, and we weren't practicing any faith or religion or anything like that. My mom has a Catholic background, but she did tell us about God. And so there was a knowledge of God, but I didn't have any real close relationship with him. Well, anyway, by the time I was 24, I break up with this boyfriend and I I go live with my mom because obviously I didn't want to live with my boyfriend anymore and just stayed with her for a little for a little bit. And I'm like, OK, I got to figure out, get another apartment, another place to stay. But for now, I said, Mom, something's really wrong. Like I am having like overwhelming fear. I can't control it. It's been happening so long and it just it's just not going away. And I don't want to take medicine. I don't want to rely on anything uh, like that. So I think I just want to start going to church. And so if God is really real, then maybe he can be my medicine. That was truly what I thought. So we started going to a Catholic church. I had a lot of questions. I would wait till after mass. I would ask 
the priest some questions that I had, but he would never answer me. And he would just kind of dismiss me. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then a friend of mine invited me to her church and I show up on a Sunday and everyone in the church was very welcoming. During the worship, they all have their arms lifted high, singing, everyone's filled with joy. And there was this overwhelming peace that I had never experienced before. And I just remember saying to myself, I really want to experience what I think these other people are experiencing. So I continue to show up Sunday after Sunday. And one Sunday, I finally said, I said, okay, God, like, you know where I'm at with this, right? Like, I am suffering really bad with this quote unquote anxiety. I still wasn't accepting of it. I'm like, whatever is going on, I like, if you heal me from this, like truly, like if you take this away from me, then I will commit to serving you the rest of my life. Now, mind you, I'm still dancing in the strip club. Like I'm still doing my thing. Right. And the following day so so that day I give my heart to the Lord I'm like okay I accept you Jesus as my Lord and Savior I did the prayer repentance I did all the things that the pastor had had me do when I came up to the altar for um at the end of service for the altar call so the next day I realized I went a full day feeling so peaceful and when it finally hit me that I went a full day feeling peace and joy and no anxiety, I started to panic a little bit because I'm like, oh my goodness, for 12 years of my life, I suffered pretty much on a daily basis. And I've never felt this kind of freedom before. And I started to become afraid because I didn't know who I was without the anxiety. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. announcement here if you're enjoying this episode please help us expand our reach by liking subscribing leaving a review or sharing it with a friend and now back to the episode so then that created a new anxiety in me like who am i now right yeah well i realized i said okay i guess god really did heal me from this so I'm a person of my word. I, I need to go to church every Sunday. I need to do whatever it is church people do. And so went to church every Sunday, got connected with ministries, um, just became very involved very quickly. I did not share with anybody what I was doing for a living. I completely kept that a secret. I, um, yeah, I, I, would, I would dance in the club Saturday nights get home at like six in the morning, be at church at nine. And I was faithful to it. Were you convicted yet at all at that point that this was something you had to give up or you didn't really have the Bible education yet to know that this was a sin? 
Correct. I, and, and I was also very arrogant too. So like I going into the industry, I automatically like told myself, I will never do ABCD. And because I didn't do those things, I felt different and unique and special from everybody else. So for me, I felt like this isn't a lifestyle for me. This is just a job. So I justified it in my brain. But interestingly enough, if I really truly felt that way, then I would have been open about what I was doing. So there was some, you know, underneath all that, some shame there because I never shared. Yeah, for sure. So here I am, I'm, I'm showing up and I'm serving two masters. I don't really know it at the time, but doing, I joined a prayer team. I'm now like teaching Sunday school. I become a youth leader. Like I'm like moving in here fast. Okay. And I'm learning as I'm going. And then, so I'm doing this for like three years and nobody knows. And finally, when I'm 27 years old, I'm like starting to feel conviction because now I am hearing the word. Now I'm responsible to do as I hear. I'm learning about sin. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, like something inside of me is like burning. I need to confess this. But if I confess this, that means I have to stop this. Mm -hmm. And if I stop this, what am I going to do? Because I have no other source of income. I started when I was 19. I got kicked out at 16, started stripping at 19. I'm 24 years old, now 27 years old. What am I going to do? I have no education. So then um, I eventually, I, I confess, I invited my pastors over to my home and I shared with them what I had to do or what I was doing for a living. And I was waiting for them to like, I don't know, like be upset or like, oh my goodness, like some sort of reaction. And their response was so loving. They looked at me and they're like, okay, well, we want you to number one, we want you to pray. Um, and number two, we're going to give you something when we see you next time. And we want you to do this as homework. So the next time I see them, they give me this two page paper of scriptures that had every scripture about who I am in Christ. So it was all about my identity. So their response to me was, we want you to read who you are, who Christ says you are. And we want you to ask Holy Spirit to speak to you through that. And whatever steps you take moving forward is going to be between you and God. Mm -hmm. This is now between you and God. And I'm like, okay. So for two years, I read those scriptures. I prayed them. I dared to believe them. And... At one point, I quit the industry. I quit in front of my pastors and I I was on the phone with the manager and they were like there for that support. And I remember the manager saying to me, what do you mean you quit? Like, what are you going to do? You have nothing else going for you. You'll be back. And so I hang up and I'm like, oh, I feel like screaming. And my pastors were excited. They were celebrating me. 
but the club manager was right. I ended up going right back. I did not tell my pastors about it. I justified it in my brain as I won't work as much. I'll work just enough hours to pay my bills and figure out something else. So I continued to show up at the club. I worked very little hours a week. I would feel convicted every night I went to the club. I'd go home crying. I'd go home, take a shower, try to scrub my skin off my body. There was so much shame and so much guilt. And I was serving in the church. Like I'm on the praying team. You know what I mean? Like people are asking me to lay hands on them and pray for them. And here I am literally living one life, one way in secret. And then here I am like lifting my hands up to the Lord. This episode is brought to you by Raised and Redeemed Merch. We all love a good crew neck, high top sock, and oversized t-shirt. Am I right? Head over to the show notes from wherever you're listening to order yours and support the show today. So at 24, I give my heart to Christ. The next five years, I'm just kind of struggling. Like I battled with those first, you know, before I confessed to my pastors, if God was truly real or not, but I'm still going to do what I said I'm going to do because I'm committed to my word. Then when I knew God was really real, the conviction started to come, confessed to them, quit, went back, worked less, felt convicted every single time. And by the time I was 29 years old, and this is where, this is truly where the breaking like of my sin really happened. So I'm on stage now at this point. Everybody in the club knows that I'm a Christ follower. I listened to Christian music. I threw away all of my worldly CDs. (laughs) CDs, how old I am. Um, (laughs) Throw away all my. (laughs) Throw those all away. And, you know, sharing about Jesus to customers, to the other dancers, to the DJ, like. And they all, you know, they all, you know, they accepted me, but that some of them would make fun of me, you know, like, oh, she's just, she's a good girl. She's a good girl. Like, well, so at 29, I'm dancing on stage and I'm at, in my second set and the way the, the stage was set up, you can see the DJ from there. And as I'm dancing, my song completely like stopped. And I heard a worship song playing and I look at the DJ and he's kind of like giving me like a thumbs up, like, like I'm doing a good job, you know, but I'm very puzzled because I'm like, why would he do that to me? Like, why would he play a worship song while I'm on stage? This is, I felt so humiliated. And then I go like this to him, like, stop, you know? And he's like giving me a thumbs up, like, no, like you're doing good. Like, you know, and there's like this confusion and I'm trying to entertain and there's, you know, guys around the stage and there's this interaction going. But then moments later, I hear my song being played again. And I'm thinking, what is he? Why is he doing that to me? Yeah. But then I realize, oh, wait a minute. Like, he's not doing anything. Like, I'm actually audibly hearing 
a worship song supernaturally. Like that's what was happening. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, very like shocked. And then right after that, one of the passages that I was reading for two years, you were purchased for a price, therefore honor me with your body, literally like pierced my heart. And I, and I was like, oh my goodness, I am having one of those things that other Christians talk about, like when they fall to their knees, when they, you know, like, like weird things happen, like it's happening to me now. There was like no denying it. And I was starting to sweat. I was, my heart was racing and then I'm like, at the same time, this is happening. I'm getting money in my garter from all these men, you know, and I'm still trying to perform, but all this is going on in my mind. And, and I said, Oh my goodness, Lord, like you're here, like with me, like you're speaking to me here, like in the club, you know, (laughs) what is going on? Like, how come this didn't happen when I'm at church or at home in my car, but it's happening in the club. And then I look out into the crowd and it literally, so at this time in my life, as you can imagine, I was completely jaded. I didn't trust any man. Every man was a pervert. Every man is a cheater. Every man is, you know, a whole list of things. And I look out into the club and I'm looking at the man who's giving me money and it was like a veil literally was removed from my eyes. And I started having like an image of Jesus interceding at the right hand of the father for this person. And then I started to almost, it was almost like if I was feeling a portion of the Lord's heart for everyone in the club yes. and the passage about like, you know, Jesus dying for everyone came to mind. And it was like the Lord was saying to me, You know, I died for you when you were an enemy of mine. I died for you because I loved you, but I always, I also love him and I love him. And it was just like, wow, in the spirit, like he's pointing his finger. I love him. I love him. I love her and her. And my heart just broke. And I felt like it was also healing bomb taking place at the same time where I started to actually feel like pity toward the customers. So next thing you know, I just, I didn't finish my set. Like I think what was going on in my mind and was happening was much longer than the actual time that I was on the stage because it was like a whole nother thing happening. So I get off the stage and I put my stripper clothes in the locker And, you know, I don't realize the significance of it then, but now I do. But I had never locked my locker before because I'm really bad at remembering like passcodes and stuff. Like still to this day, like everything for me is one, two, three, four, five, six. Like I can be easily hacked. Okay. (laughs) I probably shouldn't say that, but it's true. Like (laughs) I had a locker that I just never locked and in fear I couldn't get in and I need my stuff. So I'm like, this is it. And I just, I locked a locker and I left and I didn't tell anybody I was leaving, but I knew like, I'm done. I'm totally surrendered. So I left the club and I, and this is so silly, but all the money I made that night, I mean, this is kind of emotional. 
I took all my money I made that night and I just threw it out the window because I don't have anything to do with it. Oh my gosh. That's how you you just had a supernatural experience. Yes. I'm like, I don't have anything to do with this life, this club. And I cried all the way home and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I had confessed to a really close friend of mine who was my accountability partner who still is to this day. And I had confessed and she prayed with me. And that would be the beginning of an entire new journey, completely surrender, total faith walk, because I was foolish. I didn't learn. Nobody taught me like how to save my money. Um, At 29, I still didn't even know how to write a check. Like I was just paying everything cash. If I didn't have the cash, I just wouldn't buy it. So like everything I had, so zero debts, you know, um, but I was very ignorant to like real life world, you know, didn't know how to cook. I would eat out all the time and, you know, whatever. So it was total like humbling experience for me from that point on. Yeah. And moving forward into my Christian walk and eventually being the founder of Beulah, the ministry that I now have. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that. Um, and we will, but I want to go back a little bit and just ask you some questions about just some of the things you've shared so far. Uh, and I totally get that like humbling experience that you're talking about, because I had that after leaving the clubs as well and just realizing how much of like the real world I didn't know how to do. So I, I totally know what you mean. Um, and there was something that you said in the beginning when you were a young teenager and you first got started in the club and you were like, this is the only thing that I thought that I could do. I'm sure that now, you know, being in a ministry where you're going and you're talking to these girls, like you see different situations where like that might really feel like the truth. Like it might really feel like this is the only thing that they can do. And I felt that way as well. But looking back, I'm like, no, like there's other things like you could have done some, like, I feel like that was a lie from the enemy that I believed that like, this was my only option. If you could go back and tell your teenager self, then, you know, that there was another way. Do you believe that? Like, do you believe that there was another way? Like, what would you tell her? now knowing what you know now i think the first thing would be reminding the young self of who you wanted to be when you became older mm-hmm. and acknowledging that along the way those hopes and dreams will be crushed by life's circumstances for me dysfunctional home sexual, physical, emotional abuse took place in my home. So telling the young self, like at that time, like your, your mind and heart is so, um, it's, it's, you, you lose hope, right? Like if this is all, you know, this is all you have. It's like, yeah, right. How could there be anything beside this when this is all that's in front of your face? But what I would say is like, everyone dreams, right? Everyone has an imagination. And I remember when I was younger, I would, I wanted to be a lawyer when I got older. I'm like, I'm going to be a lawyer like my dad someday, you know, or I'm going to be a teacher. And it was always something. So I would, I would remind that younger self, my younger self 
of the dreams and the hopes that you had. And there is something beyond what you see right now. And you have to trust God to show you, you know, and then having some sort of guidance. Um, But yeah, but I, I think that it would be hard to believe. But I think if the person wants it bad enough, they'll be willing to take the chance. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. And then there's like the second part to that question. I'm going to try to find the way toward this, but it's something I believed. And I've definitely seen many other girls in the club believe that they can do this thing and still pursue those dreams and hopes that they have. And I remember somebody told me, and this is when the Lord first started pursuing me as well, that. I can't strip and also like aspire to be a teacher, speaker, author, like all these things, because like there's no integrity in that. And people aren't going to see me for those high aspirations. They're going to see me for the reality of what it is that I'm that I was doing at that time. And I began to understand like integrity and being the same person out in the light as you are in the dark. Mm. But what would you say? to that because I know there's some girls who like strip their way through some kind of doctorate school like they're paying for school and all these things but that's still kind of like the serving two masters idea Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I don't know how to form the question I'm I'm trying to say exactly but what would you say to somebody who believes that they can they can do both yeah so let's see if I if I can answer this well and hopefully it's to the question you're trying to ask um well i think it de- really depends on the first like the value and the belief system the person has so if i'm talking to a woman who says she's a christ follower but she's battling with the living in sin and she justifies it because she wants to come out of this um, sex industry lifestyle into more of a, you know, one that's has integrity. Um, You know, I would challenge if what she really and who she says she believes and if it's really true or not, Mm -hmm. because in our walk with Christ, it is a faith walk, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. And so if you're doing this to get you to that place, then you're doing it independently from God, the one that the Bible says that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And so you're not allowing him to be who he says in your life and you are taking control of that. Now, if it's a woman who isn't necessarily a Christ follower, conversations are different. Yes. Now, I will say is you really have to weigh out the the big disadvantages of you wanting to do both because being in the sex industry has a price to pay and you are going to pay it you know one way or the other mm-hmm. and so i hear you you know like i most i would say most of the women in the industry don't do that they say they're going to do it they say i'm going to do this cuz i'm going to work toward you know, getting an education. Some do, very, very few do, right? And those that do and they make it and, you know, I think that they can 
go ahead and pursue the thing that they want to. And, and God is a redeemer, right? Like he will take whatever the enemy meant for evil and whatever position we put in ourselves. Like he has mercy and grace and he can redeem all of that. Like I am a woman of integrity, regardless of what I've done. And if a person doesn't see me that way, that's their problem and their business, not mine, because God has called me by a new name. You don't need to respect that name, but your opinion doesn't mean anything when Christ has called me his friend, the apple of his eye. Um, but I would say to that woman, like, you want to do this and have this lifestyle to pursue another lifestyle. There is a price to pay that comes with it. While you may try to do good, and I think your your intention may be good, but the psychological pain, the mental and emotional pain that comes with that it's a lot to bear yeah. and 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 you're putting yourself at high risk for anxiety right like a lot of women in the in the industry unfortunately end up with uh, you know some sort of addiction right and so while you're doing both you know you're putting yourself at higher risk just because you're in the industry alone like puts you at risk for you know all kinds of things and so it's I would really just focus on what it can do to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And are you willing to take that risk? Mm, that's such a good answer, honestly, because yeah, whether you see it or not, it does begin to chip away at your soul. And it's hard to leave, mm. like say for the woman who isn't a Christ follower, um, it is hard to leave that kind of money. You know, if that's if that's kind of the master you're serving is that it's hard to leave that and step into something um, new. Um, yeah. So I would, I think you answered that greatly. Like, you know, to the woman who is a Christ follower, uh, trusting him. Um, and then to the woman who isn't, it's like, there's still, like you said, that, that price to pay, mm -hmm. whether you see it right now or not. And sometimes that's years of your life. And then so many have gone by and you start to doubt if you can even do the thing that your heart originally wanted to do. Uh, something else that you said that I wanted to ask you about was that like you didn't fall into doing a lot of the things that maybe you saw other girls doing in the industry. So for you, it felt like this could just be a job. So does that mean like you never got into any kind of like substance abuse or other like extracurricular like sort of sex work behind the scenes, you were just strictly dancing? Yeah. So I grew up in a home where <clears throat> there was a lot of alcoholism and different drugs and just partying all the time. And I was so really disgusted by that. And just a, a lot of things that I witnessed growing up, I would tell myself, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to be like that. So I made a lot of inner vows at a very young age and I maintained them. So going into the industry, my friend who introduced me, she had reminded me like, you know, Corrine, you are, you know, you don't do drugs, you don't drink, you don't do anything like you'll be fine there. Like, just keep that head on. And I'm like, yeah, I would never like do that. And, and honestly, like I will look down on people who did that. And it was because it was my own struggle at home. Right. And just the things that I experienced. So I go into the club and I was offered a lot. Like for me, 
my addiction or my thing was the money. Like I knew at a young age how to seduce a man for his money. And so that was my focus. That was my drug. That was my sense of, you know, empowerment. That was my false sense of security, you know, that I really held on to. And that was my motivation. And I used that to really justify what I was doing and to make me think that I was better than anyone else in the club. And and I would say today, no, I wasn't any better than the girl who was doing drugs and drinking alcohol and doing side favors. I, I just really learned how to play the game. Like for me, it was like less is more. And I would I had a way to manipulate the customer and make them think that it was about me and him and I was in love with him. You yeah. know what I mean? He'd want to give me more money. So for me, I'm like, if my purpose here is to make money and get them to like me and believe me, I don't need to, you know, contribute or participate in all those other things. I'm just going to make them believe me. And eventually what would happen is, when they realized that they weren't going to get really what they wanted for me, they would keep on trying mm-hmm. and eventually just get tired and be like, okay, this, she's just playing me, you know, and, and eventually leave me alone. Then I move on to the next person, wow. you know? I I appreciate that answer. I was kind of the same, you know, like addicted to the money first and foremost. Um, and I really thought like I wasn't going to dabble into substances again because I was on a healing journey and when I went back to the clubs, it's because I was in the new age and I was like, okay, this is part of me healing and all these things. But then I did, I found myself, you know, doing drugs and drinking again, but the money was still first and foremost. Um, And something that I liked that you mentioned was when you had that encounter with God on the stage, how you looked out into the audience and you began to see like these men as his children. Um, that was a huge thing in, in my testimony as well was beginning to see like, okay, if I'm his daughter, then this guy is his son. And I don't want to be the one that leads him into temptation. Um, so can you kind of talk to the impact on, on men who are coming into this? Like, they think that they're just like, you know, this is like a harmless consuming of some kind of, uh, entertainment. What is like actually the psychological, spiritual impact that you noticed happening to men who were indulging in this kind of entertainment? Man, you know, definitely they opened the door to lust, you know, and lust is never good. Lust is a very perverted, very counterfeit form of love. It's not love. It makes you think that, but lust will make men do things that um, really puts them, gets them in trouble, right? Like they spend more money than they are supposed to, right? They come in with a, a dollar amount in mind, but the more fascinated they are by the woman, the more they're willing to give, the more they're willing to risk also. And so what I've noticed is because I've, I've danced for a lot of, you know, married men, I've danced for, men who said that they were Christians and pastors and things like that. Right. And so I think that for men who go regularly, 
I think chances are they're already battling with some sort of loneliness or some other form of sexual addiction, right? And this to them, because it's legal, you know, um, a lot of people are doing it. And so they, they have their own ways to justify it as well. But I think it jades the heart of a man also because, you know, for me, for example, when I became open about my testimony, I would have in my mind, yes, I'm the girl that men want to bring around their homeboys, but I'm not the one they want to bring home. And so it jades them in a way where they don't trust women, Mm -hmm. right? They know that it's a game. And so they start to perceive other women like that, like, is this woman playing me too? Like meeting a woman at the gym and going out with them. And, you know, she says something that maybe triggers something that the stripper told him in his ear when she was giving him a lap dance. Right. And so they become jaded too. They lose trust in women. They, they have broken relationships. And, and I think like, I think healthy men, they wouldn't want to go like mentally, emotionally, like, like men that have healthy relationships, they're not going to wander in the club. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I noticed that a lot too. It was a lot of married men who felt lonely or, you know, they lacked that communication with their wives at home. So there was this big divide where they just weren't able to like get over that hump. So then these men end up in the club seeking that kind of like affection and validation that they weren't getting at home, but it's, it's counterfeit. And um, something I noticed too, it's like men think that they have the power, but because of lust, I quickly began to realize like as the woman that we had all the power, Um, which was interesting for me because my background, you know, was an abusive childhood. And so I think I became a little bit like, like power hungry in that where I realized like, I now have the power over these these men and I know I can get what I want but it's interesting because they think they think that they do going in there they think that they're in charge um but I really saw like when I was in that predatory feminine pagan mentality that I was in that I was taking advantage of these men but even though they thought they were taking advantage of me I am right in that same mindset I definitely was like, while they think they are, you know, taking advantage of me, objectifying me, I'm objectifying them too, you know, and I'm the one walking away with the money, not you, you know, but then the Lord really had to check my heart because they're walking away with the visual of me that is now implanted into their neural pathways, you know? And they walk away with this vision of me that should have been reserved for my husband. And that's a greater price than the money that I took from them, you know? So that humbled me real quick. Looking for a good ebook on all things dating as a born again Christian? I've got you covered. Head over to the show notes to find my ebook, How to Know If He's the One, where I share the worst of my relational mistakes, how I found my husband, and how God taught me to do relationship his way. I share templates for lists I made, 
questions I asked, and resources I found helpful along the way. What stage in the game did you meet your husband? Was this before or after starting your ministry? This is uh, after I met my husband. So my ministry, we just made eight years in June, my ministry. Um, And I met my husband in 2017, five years ago. My goodness. Okay, so take us a little bit back to that sequence of events. So God found you in the clubs. So then it was on your heart to extend that and bring Jesus to the clubs as well. So tell us a little bit about Beulah and uh, what you guys do. Yeah, so um, I five years after I left the industry, I knew that the Lord was calling me to do something in working in the sex exploitation world. I just didn't know exactly what. And then I came across a strip club outreach training live in Chicago from a larger ministry at the time. And um, I, I showed up and I knew during that weekend, this is exactly what the Lord wants me to do. He wants me to do strip club outreach. I didn't know what it was going to look like until I did the training. It literally just turned my world upside down. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe something like this even exists. So um, so now, you know, I'm, I'm out of the industry for five years. I've matured as a Christ follower. I did like a couple years of school of ministry with my church. So I, be, I got my Bible education, you know, I was walking the narrow path. I was doing all the things. I was definitely maturing. Still, people did not know my testimony at this point, though. Uh, so eventually I started sharing, I shared with my church and all of that. Well, yeah. So then my, my friend and I, I had asked her, she wanted to do the partner with me and she said, yeah. And we raised up a team at the church I was a part of at the time. And we prayed about what club we would go to. And the Lord had put on my heart to go to the clubs that I, um, used to work in and the club that I actually uh, surrendered my heart to him on stage. And so uh, with the team, we, we started, we started ministering there and yeah, it's been very fruitful. We've been to several clubs by now um, and we've been at some of the same clubs for six years, another club for eight years. And then now we're at a new club for just a little over a year now. Wow. And and do you have to get permission from the club owners or what's that process like? You just go in there? Yeah. So it's interesting. It could be different at every club, but uh, the way we originally started for our first two clubs, we just showed up. So you have your outreach team and whoever on your outreach team is just a little bit more outgoing, a little bit more bold and confident, not afraid of rejection. They kind of want to be like the spokesperson, you know? So we go in, we don't go in empty handed. We have gift bags, we have baked goods, we have words of affirmation in the, in the gift bags and just stuff that the women can use. And this is what it looks like. Like, hi, how are you doing tonight? My name is Corrine. These are my friends. We're from Beulah Strip Church. And we just want to come in the club and bless the women with these gifts. Is there a place that we can come in and just pass them out? And then that first time that we did that, the um, the guy was like, the manager was like, um, 
does it cost anything? And we're like, no, we just want to bless them. And they're like, okay. And it was like a little weird, but they let us in. Um, And that's been kind of our approach. We've had one club that said no to us. Mm. And we said, okay, well, can we leave the gifts here and the baked goods? And then we'll come back next week and you can let us know how they liked it. And they're like, okay, we come back the next week. They still didn't let us in. I said, you know what, we're going to give, we're going to come back the next week again, you know, whatever. Well, the reason why we find out later they didn't let us in was because they thought we were this Catholic group organization who went in some time way before us and started like yelling at the girls, like saying they were going to hell, like you're a sinner. And the bouncers had to physically like kick them out. And so we, yeah, so we found this out sometime later and I'm like, oh no, I can assure you, we are, we are not them. We have no part with them. We don't know who that is. And um, so once we got that out of the way, they welcomed us. And strangely enough, the general manager, um, I used to work with him at another club when I was a stripper and he remembered me. (laughs) Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I love that so much. And I love that you brought up the angry Catholic ministry as well, because when I was dancing, that was the only sort of Christian outreach outreach, if you would call it that, that I saw was the angry protesters outside the club screaming, you're going to hell, all these things. Um, That was at the club I worked at in Arizona. And so at that point, I was very in the new age. I didn't believe in the Christian God. I thought it was all just a power hierarchy sort of thing. Um, And so when I saw these, quote unquote, Christians doing that outside the club, I was even more repulsed by the Christian church. They were a really poor representation of Jesus. Like that is not what Jesus would do. So tell us like why your way and how you do it is more effective actually. Um, And just if you have any like salvation stories or just ways that the women have responded to you um, in your outreach. Yeah. So I guess like that saying you, you attract more with honey than vinegar, right? Um, I think, you know, that approach of, you know, when I think about like John the Baptist, you know, he preached repentance, repentance, like that was his calling. God had called him to do that. And um, I, I think about also like in Jude, where it talks about like some people will be saved by instilling the fear of the Lord in them. Right. And so I think that in this example, where these angry Christ followers are saying that I don't I don't think they fully understand um what scripture really means by that and they're approaching it from a very like legalistic yeah. way um I feel like the love of God has not really consumed them and so their approach is very condemning and it's not going to win you know people's eyes to shift to the Lord it's just not going to happen. Um, I think that there may be times where you're sitting down with an individual and you're sharing the love of Christ and you have discernment that no, they need what Jude talks about, like instilling the fear of the Lord. And that's not like very common, but what I see most common is, you know, 
just spreading the good news. Like that's a command of the Lord, right? To spread the good news. What is the good news? There is a God who loves you. There is a God who sent his son for you to die for you. And he loves you and he'll meet you right where you are. Like the good news is sharing the story of what Jesus Christ has done, right? That's the command. And that's why our approach is literally just being obedient to the word of God. Yeah. And when you're walking in obedience, the results, you leave them to the Lord, allowing Holy Spirit to work through us, through his word and showing his love in these places, people are going to respond. And people may reject us still, you know, we've had that, but, you know, to your question of, you know, have we seen people come to know Christ? Yeah, I think like the biggest, the the initial win for us as a ministry is the fact that we're even welcomed into the club, you know, and the Bible tells us that one plants a seed, another one waters, but only God causes the increase. And so we don't know whether we're planting or watering, but whichever one we're doing, one is not more important than the other. But keeping in mind, only God is the one who's going to cause the increase. And sometimes our eyes may not see the fruit of our faithfulness. Mm -hmm. I learned that from my pastor (laughs) preaching not too long ago. I'm like, oh, I love that. That's so true, you know, Um, because we've been in, in one of our clubs for eight years, you know, and so maybe when we leave, we'll, you know, hear stories of more people coming to know Christ. But we have, we have had the beautiful privilege to witness um, men and women come to know the Lord through this ministry. And we praise God for those, you know, testimonies we had. um, We, I was sure like a couple instances, we had one girl who gave her heart to Christ um, she went to church after she had met us. So she went to her local church. She went back to work on the day that she knew we were going to be there, not to work, but just to tell us that she quit mm-hmm. and that she had given her heart to the Lord. And we asked her, what was the eye opening for her? And she said that after we prayed for her, she went to go perform on stage and she felt like she was dancing for the devil, she said. And when she went to church that next, that Sunday or whatever, she said there was praise dancers and she felt like God was saying, I want you to now dance for me. My God. And so we're like, what? Like, and so she wanted to tell us that. And she's like, I quit. I quit everybody. I quit. I quit. And then she left and never saw her again. (laughs) I have the chills everywhere. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And then. You know, we've had we've had women who um, really connected well with other women on our outreach team. And those women on our outreach team have been able to walk alongside them, disciple them, build relationship with them. Uh, One of our clubs, the general manager became really close to um, one of our team members, dad. And and now this manager goes to church every week. He's in Bible study. You know, he's um, talking about getting baptized. And um, yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a beautiful stories. Um, 
I think the the big thing for us, I mean, ultimately, we want all people to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. I think as a ministry, we're really excited that we're welcomed in the club. And we're really excited to know that we are either planting or watering. And I have such a faithful team. I do want to like, just give props to, to my team. Like, we don't have much of a turnover. We've been around for eight years. And though the volunteers that we have have been with us for, you know, three plus years. Um, other volunteers have been with us for for six years, five, you know, the whole time. Like it's just been such a a blessing to see their faithfulness show up outreach after outreach, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And just being faithful that, you know, whether they're planting the seed or watering the seed, that their their role is still important. That leads me into one of my other questions, and that is about, like, how you met your husband um, and how he responded to both your past and your your current calling, because I think a lot of husbands would have a hard time, like with their wives going back into the clubs. Um, I know mine would have a hard time with that. So I try to find a way to reach women in that sort of um, sphere without, you know, because every person is different. And so I know what's going to trigger my husband personally. So I mm-hmm. am so inspired that, you know, you're able to do what you do. And I'm curious, like how your husband responded to that. Yeah, so I shared my testimony with my husband, like the first real conversation we had. And that was because it was, um, it was right before church service, actually. And we, uh, well, he was looking for me because this was like two weeks after Thanksgiving. And when I met him, I met him at my pastor's house over Thanksgiving. And then I didn't even know that we had gone to the same church. My church is pretty big. So two weeks later, we run into each other and he asked to just chat with me. And he was like so open about his own testimony and just very like, he just was like very, um, like, like there was nothing you can tell him that would, he, it would like shock him, you know? And I just felt comfortable to share my testimony like at in that very moment too. I didn't expect that, but I did. And, and he, and I shared with him about Beulah and everything. And he goes, he was so like blown away. He was like, that is so beautiful. Like I really see Christ in you. He was very inspired and encouraged. So I think like when we met, this is who I was. Yes. And so moving, so I think that might've been easier, you know, like, and, and not coming up it. With it. Yeah. And not coming up with it after the fact we're married and stuff like that. So that might, that might have something to do with it, you know, but early on, he was very supportive. He actually joined um, our ministry. Like once, like we got engaged and he would um, he would be like security, like he'll drive us to the club and sit outside in his car with other men and pray together while we go in the club. But then we would invite the bouncers to go outside and meet our, my husband and the other guys from church. And that would be a time of ministry. So getting him involved in that way, um, I think, was also really helped. And he is just really supportive and 
just very loving. He's he's been really he's been really wonderful to me through this. Very supportive of the ministry, very supportive. I love that. That's so beautiful. And something that you said that I think is really important is you said one of your or it was like, yeah, one of your first big conversations you told him your testimony because I have mm-hmm. lots of girls uh, like social media acquaintance friends that reach out to me and ask me how I went about telling my husband my testimony. And I was like, well, you know, by the time I was dating to find my husband, I knew I was looking for a husband. And so I put everything out on the table right away, because if he doesn't accept me, then, you know, like that weeds him out really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I told my husband my testimony right as right away as well, because I think that's important. Like, in order to be fully loved, you have to be fully known. And, and it really does weed out the people sooner rather than, rather than later to, you know, get that out of the way and tell them who you truly are from the beginning and to not have shame in it. Cause like you said, like once you come into the family of Christ, you are a new creation, you're born again, mm-hmm. you're redeemed. Um, so mm-hmm. there's no shame in sharing. It's actually inspiring to share that 180. It is because, you know, I'm not proud of my past, but I'm not ashamed anymore, you know, and my testimony, my, this ministry was born out of my testimony, you know, and so it is part of who God has called me to be and it's, you know, who I am. And so, yeah, I feel like I want to be with the man who is going to love me because he does know me and who I am, like he accepts it. And for me, I already had the confidence, like, you know, God has accepted me for who I am. That's incredible. Like God who is holy and righteous, there's no wrongdoing in him. There's no darkness in him. He loves me. And so if you don't like, I'm so confident in my God and the desire that I have in my heart for a husband, he's going to provide that, right? Yeah. So there's freedom in that. Oh, amen. So the last thing I want to ask you, well, it's a two-part thing, is just how people can uh, stay connected with you or you know, get involved with Beulah or if Beulah is not in their area, another way that they can kind of contribute to the same higher cause. Um, and then if you would pray for those listening who maybe are in a situation like the one that you were once in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So multiple ways um, to keep in touch with us, kind of find out what's going on with our ministry is to follow us on our social media. So we're Beulah, B-E-U-L-A-H, and then underscore strip underscore church, Beulah Strip Church. And um, we'll post on there when we pray together as a team. And that's another, that's a way to really get involved with us. Prayer is the backbone of this ministry. I know a lot of ministries are like, you know, pray for us, pray for us. Um, We truly, truly, genuinely mean that. Like that is everything that has, the Lord has perform miracles through, you know, prayer. And I think just our faithfulness and understanding the importance of prayer. So um, you can partner with us and even join us once a month as we come together to pray for the women in the clubs and our outreach teams. Another way 
that you can be involved. We're in Chicago. So if you're in Chicago and you want to physically be um, part of the team, we have um, baking teams, you know, we have, um, we're, we're actually right now looking for um, a couple of women who want to be part of our outreach team. Uh, we had a couple of girls move uh, out of state. So we're looking for that. Um, but if you're not from here, another way to be part of this ministry is writing words of affirmation and you can mail it to us um, DM me. I'll give you the address and you can mail it to us. And these cards are super important for the women that we do outreach. And it's one of the things that they really look forward to. Um, they want to know what God says about them. They want to read the scriptures. They save them. They put them in their lockers. They put them in their bathroom at home there. It's like they're, you know, just their encouragement. And the Lord is really speaking to the women and even the men, because we give them to the men as well, the the work that work there. So everyone gets, gets something. Uh, so that's another way. And another way is you can financially donate to us. $10 reaches one person in the club. So $10 goes a very long way. Okay. Heavenly Father, we come before you first to give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. And we declare that there is none like you, Lord. You are God who sits on his throne and you share it with no one. You are sovereign, you are holy, and you are righteous. Father, I thank you for being a God who emptied himself onto this earth as fully man and fully God. And Jesus, you were obedient even to the point of death. And it was at the cross, Lord, that you you shed innocent blood for for me, for the world, for the women working in the clubs, for the men working in the clubs. Lord, you are not a respecter of persons. And I thank you for that. I thank you for pulling me out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And Lord, I pray for I pray for my friends, I pray for my sisters and my brothers that work in the sex industry, whether it be in the club, um, whether it's escort, Lord, or whatever it is that they find themselves, I know that you are a God who will meet them right where they are. I know that you are a God who can speak to them right where they are. I pray, Lord, that you would cause their eyes to shift to you that you will cause their hearts to turn to you. And I pray, Lord, that any lie that they have accepted, that it would be cast away now with your truth, that you are their redeemer, that you are the lover of their soul, and that you desire to spend eternity with them. I pray that you will make this truth known and that you will set them free, Father, from any um just any consequences of the lies that they have accepted and i just pray they will come to fully know you and fully know who they are in you so they can walk in this freedom unashamed they can walk in this freedom not being condemned but lord knowing that there is a day that is coming that there will be no more pain but that you are coming to wipe away every tear from their eyes and so, Lord, bless them and, and bless my sweet sister here, Lord. Um, I pray you continue to use her and use this um, podcast, Lord, for your glory and your honor. May your mercies, may your favor, may your blessings follow her and her home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to have you leave a review and share it with a friend. All information on how to stay connected with the Raised and Redeemed podcast can be found in the show notes below. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.